Hello everyone, and welcome to this podcast by the Trinity's Members Committee of the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh. My name is Dr Jonathan Bargett, and I'm an acute medical registrar in acute and general internal medicine in the southeast of Scotland. This podcast is focusing on point of care ultrasound in acute medical admissions units and in general internal medicine. I am joined by Dr Snay Bannock. He is an acute consultant physician based in Aberdeen. Welcome, Snay. Thank you very much, Johnny. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today uh, talking on FAMOUS. As you have mentioned, I'm a consultant acute physician in Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. I'm also an honorary senior lecturer in Aberdeen University and a director of Academic Foundation Training Program. Uh, I have been uh, a FAMOUS supervisor since uh, the beginning of my consultant career, and I have been trying to promote FAMOUS in Scotland uh, for the last five years. I've already trained a number of consultants and registrars, and the process is ongoing. I'm delighted that you're here with us today, Snae. So I guess just to, to start for our listeners, why, why are we talking about FAMOUS and Point of Care Ultrasound today? Uh, Johnny, FAMOUS stands for Focused Acute Medicine Ultrasound, and FAMOUS is the Point of Care Ultrasound Standard created for acute physicians and general physicians who undertake acute medical care. And FAMOUS is one of the most exciting component of acute internal medicine curriculum at the moment, uh, which offers the benefit of safe, efficient, and rapid diagnosis and management of a number of acute medical emergencies. FAMOUS is probably going to be a core component of acute medicine curriculum very soon. So this is an exciting topic to discuss. So you've mentioned that this is something that's open to the acute internal medicine and general internal medicine trainees. Um, and it sounds like this is something that is really useful, as you said. What, what kind of circumstances or scenarios can our future trainees and physicians in general internal medicine and acute general internal medicine use point of care ultrasound for? So point of care ultrasound is an excellent aid to traditional clinical examination techniques in assessing acutely unwell adult patients. Point of care ultrasound ensures safe performance of a number of medical procedures and reduces chance of complication. So back in 2002, NICE guideline mandated use of ultrasound scan in central venous catheter insertion. So it's almost two decades where point of care ultrasound is recommended for a certain medical procedure. And if you look at British Thoracic Society plural disease guideline, it's mentioned that thoracic ultrasound guidance is strongly recommended for all plural procedures. It even says marking of a site using thoracic ultrasound for subsequent remote aspiration of chest strain insertion is not recommended in most cases. Therefore, ultrasound uh, guided procedures are the only answer. And this is point of care ultrasound. Uh, this reduces failure rate and complications. And if you look at abdominal paracentesis, there is an observational cohort study of approximately 70,000 patients undergoing abdominal paracentesis. It showed that ultrasound reduces bleeding risk by 68%. There's another study which shows a superiority of ultrasound-guided abdominal paracentesis. So success rate of clinical examination-guided paracentesis was uh, only 65%, whereas ultrasound-guided paracentesis results 95% success. So I think a number of medical procedures are there where we should use point-of-care ultrasound. Now, if we talk about its diagnostic values, point-of-care ultrasound helps in rapid bedside diagnosis of a variety of acute medical presentations. 
the investigation tool basically comes to the patient rather than an acutely unwell patient needing to go out of acute environment. Moreover, the scan can be repeated as often as necessary. And lastly, the interesting fact of point of care ultrasound is it can be quickly taught to medical practitioners. And I'm glad to say, Johnny, over the last decade, there has been increasing interest and enthusiasm in point of care ultrasound. And I personally think, uh, along with many of my colleagues, that point of care ultrasound needs to be integrated in internal medicine curriculum. So that's a really great introduction to point of care ultrasound for our listeners. And I guess for our listeners that aren't um, familiar with point of care ultrasound and, and famous so you, you talked about thoracic ultrasound scanning and scanning of the abdomen for assessment of ascites. What other things are available to us? I know that in the curriculum, there's module on venous access and scanning for DVT. Can you talk a bit more about that as well, please? Yes. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, so in addition to procedures, I have mentioned that this can be used in a variety of clinical assessment uh, if we look at FEMAS, FEMAS has got three practical modules, which are thoracic ultrasound and then abdominal ultrasound and then vascular module. So in thoracic ultrasound, we talk about blue protocol. Uh, blue stands for bedside lung ultrasound in emergency. Blue is a very good diagnostic modality to investigate patients with respiratory failure. And in our abdominal module, we talk about SITs and assessment of hydronephrosis and bladder distension, which we see in acute medical world very frequently. And lastly, in, in regards to a vascular module, we talk about vascular access. So nowadays being chemotherapy uh, so widely used and we have got a number of patients who are IV drug abusers. And we all know that how difficult to do vascular access in this group of patients. And having ultrasound scan or a point of care ultrasound scan is a blessing in these sort of situations. So it sounds like this is a really useful tool at the front door in the acute medical unit or, or on the wards. What, what just in terms of ultrasound do we mean by ultrasound? What, what is ultrasound? A very good question. Ultrasound, as the name says, uses high frequency sounds. That is ultrasound. I try to explain the theory in very simple words. So human ears can hear sound frequencies from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. And if sound frequencies lies above this range, we call them ultrasounds. Diagnostic ultrasound actually uses frequencies from one megahertz to 20 megahertz. So what happens is when we connect an ultrasound machine to an electric source, uh, like we plug it uh, in a plug point, uh, ultrasound transducers turns electric energy to sound energy. And when we place a probe on body, sound waves travel through skin to internal organs. When there is any difference or interface in media, then there is reflection of sound waves back to the transducers. Some of the sound waves are even absorbed uh, by certain media. And when we send these uh, sound waves, they come back, the transducers, then converts these sound waves back to electric energy again, which is then processed by ultrasound machine to form a visual image. Now, if the reflection takes long time to penetrate and come back to the transducer, the machine understands the tissue structure is a deep one. On the other hand, if the reflection goes back quick, then this is a shallow lying organ. 
Now let's talk about the brightness of a particular organ or an image. Think the brightness as the volume of returning echo. So the louder the returning echo, the brighter would be the organ and the quieter the returning of echo, the less bright the image would be. If you prefer to go to more complex physics, then some equations would come. For example, uh, the most important one I think is uh, velocity. So velocity of sound wave equals to wavelength times frequency. Velocity of ultrasound wave is sort of similar in fluid and solid organs. Therefore, if velocity is constant, and we know that velocity is wavelength times frequency, then a higher frequency will decrease the wavelength, which will result in a better resolution. And vice versa would happen in lower frequency sound waves. Along the, the physics that you've talked about, how, how easy is it for the, for the trainee to, to pick up an ultrasound probe and interpret what they're seeing and find the images that they're looking for? Uh, Johnny, I think the, 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 the theory may sound complex, but I think a very minimal or basic understanding is really required. And the theory is best explained with uh, some images and video clips, which are available online easily. So I think this is not a problem, but a good understanding of the probes and the knobs is important. Uh, and the trainees, whichever machine they are using in acute setting, I would say that it's really important to familiarize themselves with these probes and the knobs. So in emergency situations, they can assess patients quickly. So basically there are two or three probes available in, in the point of care ultrasounds, which use in our acute environment. There's a linear probe, which is a high frequency transducer and gives excellent resolution uh, for superficial structures. Therefore, this is the probe which is great to visualize blood vessels, muscles, or nerves, and they're fantastic tools for IV access or uh, sort of biopsies or nerve blocks. On the other hand, the curvilinear probe is a low frequency transducer, therefore are used to visualize deeper structures. And this is our favorite probe when we uh, examine abdomen and thorax. So I think these basic knowledges are important and how to adjust the depth and the brightness of an image, these are important as well. So where is the gain knob and where's the depth knob, trainees should familiarize themselves with a few of these basic things. That's really useful to know. Just to put it into context now, Dr. Bannock, what kind of situations in, in the, the ward environment or the acute medical unit um, would arise where we can use our point of care ultrasound? So the situations are, Firstly, I have mentioned about medical procedure. So point of care ultrasound should be used in plural procedures, in central venous cannulation, difficult peripheral IV access, and abdominal paracentesis. Secondly, point of care ultrasound makes clinicians better diagnosticians. So this should be used or can be used for respiratory failure sort of situation. And if I give you an example, like, this is not unusual for us to see patients who has background history of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and heart failure, and they come to emergency situation with a pneumonia or sepsis, and they are breathless. And our traditional clinical history taking and examination and a traditional chest x-ray sometimes puts us at a difficult situation. It has happened to all of us, like we gave some antibiotics, some fluids, some nebulizer, and then felt a fusamide would be required. And this is a very unpleasant situation. So point of care ultrasound, as I have been using for last few years, this is an 
excellent tool to titrate your diagnosis down and be more specific in knowing what exactly is going on. For example, if it's a pulmonary edema, it's very easy to diagnose with point of care ultrasound or with blue protocol. And I even use it for assessing the response. So I have treated a patient with pulmonary edema and I come back in 15 minutes or half an hour, do ultrasound again and see what's the image quality and what has happened. And it's amazing to see that how much improvement happens and ultrasound shows it very clearly. So you mentioned blue protocol, and I guess our listeners may not be familiar with what that is. You've already alluded to the basics of it. What are the things that you're seeing when you're assessing someone who has pulmonary edema and when you're coming back to see how your treatment has affected them? Yeah, so blue stands for bedside lung ultrasound in emergency. And it has showed a very good diagnostic accuracy of lung ultrasound for respiratory failure. I mean, if I go back 20 years ago when I was a medical student, the textbook used to say that it's not possible to ultrasound lungs because uh, there are air in lung and ultrasound waves cannot penetrate air. So it's not possible to ultrasound lungs. But it has now been shown that in a number of pathologies, air is replaced in lung by fluids, bloods, or pus. And with ultrasound probes, it's easy to identify these sort of situations. Also, when there is a lung pathology going on, there are lots of artifacts created. And we can see this in in ultrasound screen. A minimal understanding or a good understanding of these artifacts can generate a protocol. And if we go step by step with this protocol, we can be very specific with a particular diagnosis. It's, It's beautiful. It sounds like this is the the way forward for assessing response to to treatment that we're giving. I guess the other things that we you talked about today were patients who come in with respiratory failure. Obviously, not all patients have pulmonary edema. What what other things can we look at apart from pulmonary edema? So what we do is we look for A lines. Uh, so A for air, really. So these are some horizontal lines which appear when we scan uh, lungs with our curvilinear probe. And when you see A lines, we know that there are air inside the lung, which is good. The second artifact is B lines. So you have heard about Carly's B line in chest X-ray, which is a feature of pulmonary edema. So same naming is used here, like B lines, which appears as sort of searchlight, which is moving in the ultrasound screen. And if we see B lines on both sides of the lungs, so it's a bilateral B lines, and they are significant numbers, like more than three, then we know there are interstitial fluids inside the lung. And when it's bilateral, it signifies that uh, it's probably pulmonary edema going on. Other things we look at are the pleura itself. So if we do point of care ultrasound, we see that uh, there are shimmering between the parietal and visceral pleura. Uh, So there is nice movement, which can be seen in ultrasound. And when we see that there is no movement, we know that some abnormality is going on, which can be pneumothorax. And also, if there is a consolidation, this can be visualized with ultrasound as an abnormal pathology, and plural effusions are pretty easily seen as well. So these are all the things uh, we can see in ultrasound, and if we, just, if we just calculate and think in ourselves, we know what exactly is going on. So it sounds like there's a, there's a straightforward protocol for assessing our patients as per the blue protocol. One of the things that I I sometimes hear of SNAE is that certainly in, in COVID times like this, sometimes we can see specific signs of COVID. Is that something that you're familiar with or, or you're, you're seeing in your own clinical practice? 
This is a very interesting point you have mentioned, uh, Johnny. So point of care ultrasound is currently being used uh, internationally in the management of patients with uh, COVID-19 infection. And uh, there are lots of talks, there are lots of publications already in place. Famous website has mentioned this as well. And what our thought is, the more people we can train now, uh, the better management we can offer uh, in, in COVID situation. So again, if we use the blue protocol in this cohort of patients, we can ensure quick and better management of patients and we can send them in the appropriate environment to manage them appropriately. Right, so it, it sounds like this is something that is not just the future, but it's being used now. Is that fair to say? That's right, that's right. But I think if we consider training people now, it would probably give benefit even in the post-pandemic era, and we don't know how long the pandemic is going to last. So I, I guess that leads us nicely into a question that I've I've often heard from my colleagues is, is how do we train in ultrasound and how can a trainee in general or acute internal medicine access training in point-of-care ultrasound or FAMIS? The Royal College of Emergency Medicine introduced point-of-care ultrasound as a, as a component of emergency medicine and curriculum back in 2010. And they have been using fast scan, triple scanning and ultrasound in shock for a long time. So this is one training modality. Intensive care medicine have got their own curriculum as well. So for acute physicians uh, or acute internal medicine curriculum, FAMAS is the standard and the training pathway is pretty straightforward. So the FAMAS curriculum splits into four parts. There is one theoretical component and three practical modules. Theory component of FAMAS accreditation involves two parts. One is completion of a FAMAS e-learning package and assessment, which is available free of charge. And the second one is an attendance at a FAMAS approved course. The course details are also available in FAMAS website, which is www.famus.org.uk. And the three practical modules are thoracic module, abdominal module, and vascular module. Each of these three systems is learned in three different stages. So stage one is theoretical stage, which I have mentioned already. Second stage is supervised practice. And the third stage is mentor practice. So an interested candidate will need to register with the famous administrator. There is a administration fee involved here, and they need to identify a famous supervisor. A list of supervisors uh, is available at famous website again. Uh, I would say that this website is a rich website with lots of information, examples, and video clips, uh, which are again free and worth visiting. Once somebody starts their supervised CAN, training must be completed within two years. So after completion of training in each area and assessment of completion of training, the candidate needs to submit assigned training records to famous administrator. This completes the accreditation process and they would be rewarded with a certificate of completion of training. It sounds like there's ample time to achieve the accreditation. Um, have you had any feedback on how your trainees have, have experienced this training process and, and how easily accessible it is for trainees before and also during the pandemic? Yes. Uh, so this is uh, an important topic to highlight. Uh, I have to say that we still don't have enough trainers, uh, especially in the UK, uh, to deliver this training process. So we are in the process of training people. And in last few years, I have trained uh, a number of consultants and registrars, and some of them are supervisors now. 
In the pandemic, things are rather more difficult because uh, it's uh, not possible to do the supervised scan uh, face-to-face. However, I think there are alternative mechanisms have been proposed and used. I think with time, when we'll train more people, the number of supervisors would go up and we'd be in a definitely better situation. It's it's really promising to know that this is being looked at. Um, I guess that's just one of the key things that um, going forward, our trainees will will want to learn more about. From what I'm hearing, there there's definitely enthusiasm for this specialist skill. Absolutely. So we Absolutely. already talked about blue protocol. Um, one of the things I'd like to highlight is just other clinical scenarios. Um, and I know that we obviously cover the abdominal module. We've talked about ascites and placement of ascitic drain in a safe fashion. But I also know that we can assess for hydronephrosis. And that's often something that we can experience in the middle of the night when we're seeing a patient who's come in with acute renal failure. As, a, as an example of a case, in what circumstance could we use an abdominal scan to assess for hydronephrosis? And tell the listeners, if you can, about how, how we can use that as a, as a skill to, to rule out hydronephrosis. Yeah, so this is an interesting uh, question. So I will talk about one of my uh, Friday evening experience. It was a busy take that evening. And a middle-aged gentleman with no past medical history, and uh, he was quite fit and well. He was referred uh, from community with an incidental finding of uh, renal impairment or acute kidney injury. So I personally saw this patient, took a clinical history, examined him, and everything was unremarkable. I mean, ultrasound is always my uh, good friend. So I did point of care ultrasound, his tummy, and he had severe hydronephrosis, really, and he has a big distended bladder. So the subsequent steps were pretty straightforward. I phoned my urology colleagues and the patient was straight taken uh, to their department. So what we have done in in an old-fashioned way, if we would have treated him, he would have to stay in an acute medical ward or a general medical ward over the weekend and something would have done on on a Monday morning or afternoon. But here we, we have identified the problem pretty quick and he went to the right environment straight away. So which was good for the patient and good for the hospital system as well, where bed crisis uh, has been a problem. The same evening, uh, I had another patient, I just uh, say at the same time. So another middle-aged middle patient um, who is a smoker and obese, but there was no other past medical history. He came with breathlessness, sepsis, and was needing a significant amount of oxygen, like 10 liters of oxygen. My registrar reviewed this patient and contacted the appropriate specialty, uh, saying that the patient needs to be managed in a, in a sort of specialist environment. However, the answer we received that uh, this was probably a sepsis going on, provided the chest X-ray was only showing uh, some opacities at the right base, um, and there were bivasal crackles. And we are told that it should be pretty straightforward, and a short-stay medicine probably would be appropriate. My registrar was concerned. Uh, I was discussed. So I went to see this patient, did ultrasound, and find there was significant pleural effusion on the right side. And the patient being septic, warranted a chest range, so uh, we contacted the specialist team again, and they straight away came to assess this patient and took the care over. So again, another example uh, where this is an excellent tool to make sure safe and early management uh, of, of, of a patient. It's really pleasing to know that your use of point of care ultrasound is helping our patients. And I guess that's the, the key driving factor for learning the specialist skills now. Um, I think this is the future. And uh, I think we have long been 
relying on our traditional examination skills. And this is the time uh, to go to the next step, Johnny. It sounds like this is the way forward. Just in terms of other scenarios that could arise, um, obviously we, we have a module covering DVT scanning. In your experience, how often would you uh, use the ultrasound probe to assess a patient for DVT instead of sending them for a, a routine scan with our local uh, ultrasonography de- department? So the current famous curriculum talks about rule in DVT rather than ruling out DVT. So that means that if you suspect somebody has got a DVT and your ultrasound shows the patient has got a DVT, you can say that this, this is a positive scan, but you cannot rule out. I mean, there is no national guideline yet uh, where we can use our DVT scanning skill to diagnose a patient and discharge uh, from the front uh, line management system. So we are still uh, diagnosing patient and having formal ultrasound scan, but things may change in the future. However, again, going back to respiratory failure, which is an interesting area, really, DVD scanning was proved useful in these sort of situations. Like if somebody has got a respiratory failure and a clear lung, but has got a DVT, uh, we can say that it's a, it's, a, it's a pulmonary embolism going on, which can be uh, a very useful thing in pre-arrest sort of situation or cardiac arrest sort of situation. It sounds like it's a really useful area of pathology to assess in that, in that circumstance. And I, I guess one of the things that our listeners probably want to, will be asking is, this is really useful and I, I, I want to learn this skill. Um, how easy is it to learn and put into practice in your own hospital environment? It's easy. It's, it's, it's quite easy. I mean, in comparison to traditional, I mean, the, the, the training radiologists do, that's very extensive, but point of care ultrasound uh, training uh, is easy to get trained and also to teach. So I would not say there is any obstacle there. So if somebody has got a supervisor and access to a point of care ultrasound machine, uh, you should take this opportunity and learn point of care ultrasound famous. It's been really useful to hear more about how point of care ultrasound is being used in the acute medical unit. What would your take-home messages for our listeners be today and what would you advise our our trainees to do if they want to learn this special skill? Uh, The take-home message I would say that again point of care ultrasound is an extremely useful tool in acute medical emergencies to ensure safe and rapid patient management. Point of care ultrasound is easy to learn and FEMAS is a structured training pathway which probably would be a core component of acute internal medicine curriculum soon and consideration should be given to make it a compulsory component for general medicine curriculum as well. Trainees should continue their enthusiasm uh, to get themselves trained as soon as possible. This would be beneficial for them and for the better, best interests of their patients. That's really helpful, Barbanek. And you mentioned some resources that they can consult. So one of them was the FAMAS website. Can you just tell our listeners where they can go from listening to this to learn more about FAMAS? Yeah, so the FAMAS website, as I have already mentioned, is a, is a, is a good website. So the website address is www.famus.org.uk. FAMAS website itself has got links to different useful uh, documents and uh, it explains the curriculum very well. Uh, there are video clips which are a delight to watch and this will signpost you to the courses which are happening uh, in near future. There are lots of YouTube videos as well. Uh, FEMAS has got its own YouTube channel where uh, a good re- a compilation of good resources are available. 
uh, it's worth watching these in your free time. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, and I, I guess I'd like to end by saying thank you very much, Dr. Snebanek. And as a way of our listeners feeding back and giving um, their thoughts on, on this episode, um, you can give comments to our Twitter account. So that's the at RCPE Eden Trainees page. Once again, Dr. Bannock, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to chat to you today about point of care ultrasound in acute medicine. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. And it has been a delight uh, to be here today. And uh, I hope it was useful. And I am looking forward to the day where all our medical trainees would be trained in point of care ultrasound scan. Thank you. Thank you very much.